Welcome to the Law Firm Accounting and Tax Podcast, powered by Jetro. Each week, we bring extremely valuable accounting and tax tips specific to law firm owners. You will be on your way to growing your practice and putting more money in your pockets. Here's your host. Hello and welcome back. I am your host, Mike Jezoshek, and last week, I was on the Mind Body Business Show with Brian Kelly. And so for this week's podcast episode, I am including part of that interview with Brian, where we discuss some of the daily routines that we have, successes, failures, team culture, and so much more. So I hope you enjoy it. Mike is the founder of Jetro, a digital modern day accounting firm. Mike has spent the majority of his career as an entrepreneur. He was CFO and co-founded several companies and has experience in all business stages. That's why I love having him here. He set out on a mission to help businesses that have seen and lived the same experiences he did in business. This is how Jetro was built, and that's all caps, J-E-T-R-O. He has been in the shoes of many small business owners out there, and, and his end goal is to help them in one area that most business owners are not familiar with, Oh, I can relate to this one. And that is accounting and taxes. Yes, it's awesome to have help in those areas. Mike earned his bachelor's degree in business administration and master's degree in accounting. He is a licensed CPA. And when Mike is not in the office, you can find him spending time with family and friends. And of course, golfing. Of course. Yes, he is also an avid sports fan, and you can often find him rooting for his Brewers, Badgers, Bucks, and Vikings. Man, there's like a, there's something going on there. It's like a pattern there, right there. All right, with that, I'd like to welcome officially to the show, Mike Jezoshek. How are you doing, Mike? I'm doing great, Brian. How are you? I'm doing fantastic. Hey, Don Hoperich is on. Thank you for coming on. For those of you watching live, listening, uh, go ahead, give us some likes, some loves. Ask a question if you'd like of Mike as we go through the show. And if it's appropriate, we will ask it live right here. We'll give you a shout out, all that good stuff. So great intro. Um, I can't wait to learn more about Jetro, uh, Mike. Uh, and one of the things I love to do in the beginning of every show is so now we know about what you do. And now it, it, what I like to do is dig in a little bit more and find out why you do what you do. And to be more specific is, you know, when we get up in the morning, I know me personally, if you're anything like me, first get up, kind of groggy, you know, kind of coming to uh, swing the feet over the edge of the bed, sit up, okay, coming to life. And then, then the, the conscious part of our world comes into being and we start going, okay, now it's time to hit the day. Now that drive, that motivation, whatever it is you have that keeps you going every day, that's when it starts to ramp up. And for you, uh, Mike, what is that? What is that thing or things that motivates you each and every day to get up and crush it in your business? Yeah, you know, that, I think that's a good question. You know, one, one thing being a business owner, a lot of times it is hard to see that motivation because things are tough. You have high, high highs and, and low lows. Um, but what we do and kind of what, what our firm is meant to do is we see entrepreneurs every day and are working with entrepreneurs every day. And they put their heart into everything that they do. And I kind of know this being an entrepreneur myself is that I put my heart into my business. And so being able to kind of be that backbone for someone that cares so passionately about something that they do is really kind of our motivation to know, hey, we're helping these people succeed in something that they care so 
dramatically about. And so, you know, helping us motivate is just being able to say, hey, what are we doing for businesses every day? We're helping them succeed and they care so much about that one thing. Um, another thing at, a, at our firm is that uh, we understand and kind of realize that talking to business owners that paying tax is a real problem. Paying too much tax is a real problem. And every business owner we talk to, especially those smaller business owners think, I'm not big enough for tax savings or I'm not big enough for tax strategies because I'm not making a million dollars a year or I'm not an apple. And the fact is that's simply not true. And so when we wake up every morning, we know that we're providing content, we're helping business owners realize that there are tax saving strategies out there, no matter what their size, as long as they're making a profit, there's tax savings that can be done. Um, so it's just a combination of that. Uh, being an entrepreneurs ourselves, um, we know the passion that goes into running a business and helping those business owners do better in their business is just motivation in itself. That's fantastic. You are you are blessed. You and everyone in your crew is blessed that you are working with entrepreneurs every single day. Uh, I love entrepreneurs because of, like you said, they have so much passion. They put everything they have into what they do. And the other thing is they're so positive minded because if they weren't, there's no way they would be successful. Um, and so I, I'm a little, you are very blessed. You are very blessed to be able to work with that. And so I had a question. You talked about entrepreneurs. Um, you use that word in there in the description of who you work with. So just for viewers are clear, um, who would you say is your ideal client, uh, like your avatar? Or, or is it a range of clients? Because as we were talking a little bit off camera right before the show, you know, services come around and they look very appealing to many. Oftentimes, they only cater to those that are really higher in the success realm and not those that are just starting out and leaving those who are starting out kind of in the dust. It's okay. It's okay that businesses do what they do. It's just where where do you fit in when it comes to that? Yes, yeah, so, I mean, we cater towards your typical um, small business. Um, so that can be anywhere from zero you know, a startup business all the way up to say 5 million in sales. That's usually kind of our sweet spot. It always kind of depends on what industry you're in and how that sales number means. Um, our biggest clients about $120 million a year, but that's kind of an anomaly. Most of our clients fall in that zero to 5 million range. So uh, being a digital firm, so we're kind of that modern accountant, not the, you know, accountants on the corner street or on main street in a small town we're much more modern and digital and so many of our clients are i would say younger generation or at least people that really adapt to technology mm. and, and kind of look at that as when they see their accountant their their old school accountant that's more of a pain to them because they have to travel to the office <laughs> and set an appointment up that way um so most of our clients are in that modern thinking as well that they they're, they are intrigued by the innovative way that accounting firms are kind of changing now. And so that's why I say you know, normally they're kind of tech savvy as well. I love that uh, personally, and I'm not part of the younger crowd. Uh, I'm very <laughs> tech savvy though. I'm kind of an outlier in that way, but I love that because I'm so all for a virtual quote unquote business, even though I just mean that by people can work with you from anywhere. You're not a, yeah. You know, you do exist. You're not just vapor. Uh, you are a real business, and I love that. Um, I I drive just a few miles to see an accountant, and I'd rather not have to even go that far. 
I mean, that would be phenomenal. I'm all into the digital uh, age. <laughs> Let's do it that way. Let's automate this. Let me send you an email instead of sit there and watch you scratch with a pen and paper and, you know, look down your nose and say you didn't make very much last year or whatever that case may be, you know, and say you bet, you know, just all that, all that fun stuff. Um, I love the digital approach, uh, surely. And I know personally quite a few that are very similar to me, even in age, that would be open uh, to having a solution like yours uh, available to them. And I'll be honest, I, most that I talk to, we never, in, in entrepreneur circles, the last thing we talk about is accounting and taxes, which probably means none of us either know enough about them or either that or we don't <laughs> wanna talk about them or we just uh, are not taking care of that area of our business, which is probably more often the reason because now it becomes a little bit embarrassing if you want to bring it up and say, well, I'm not really doing anything there. I'm just, you know, I'm, I'm using a quick, I'm doing something that whatever online tax program there is out there now, which I don't even mm -hmm. know, uh, but there are some out there. So good, good to know. Thank you for clarifying that. So small businesses all the way to 5 million, even if you're a startup. Um, so now everyone watching and listening knows that Mike is probably a fit for you right from the get-go. And so let's dig a little deeper into what makes Mike tick, um, what his life is like. I like to dig into the more personal things because it's really cool for me and others to understand that you're a human being like everyone else, no matter how successful. Uh, we all have, you know, we put our pants on one leg at a time and everything that goes with it. Um, it's just good to know what what you're like as a person and what your company and culture is like. So you look like a pretty fit guy. Uh, we were talking about mind body business in the beginning um, and so the body part of it how important is physical fitness to you when it comes to business and then to your personal life is there any difference or is it the same what is that yeah you know it's funny that you mentioned that because um, one kind of niche that we focus in is fitness studios and in the fitness space and we kind of just fell into that space just because we started with a client that was a fitness studio and then just started kind of growing in that space. So it's, it's kind of funny. We work a lot in fitness. Um, and, and again, the people that work in fitness, the passion that they have for what they do, getting people fit is, is absolutely incredible. But more on a personal note, uh, there's a couple kind of, I, I would say, routines that I take. Um, so every morning I try to get a workout in. Um, there's just something about starting my day. If I don't do that workout, I feel like my day is just off to a rough start. And that workout can be something as, as small as running a quick mile or something. As long as I'm doing something before I'm kind of going into the office or, or, or doing anything else, um, I just feel like my day's off to a much better start. And there's one other thing that I, that I often tell in, in interviews is that um, I, I do something a little odd. I drink a lot of water throughout the day. And so by drinking a lot of water, I have to go to the bathroom. And I make kind of this, this task to myself is that every time I have to go to the bathroom, I have to do some type of workout. So that could be push-ups, sit-ups, planks. Um, it's just something that uh, kind of breaks up my day a little bit. So I'm, I, I, you know, by drinking a lot of water, it's something that can get me away from sitting down. It also clears my mind, even if it only takes 30 seconds, 45 seconds, it clears my mind a little bit because I'm focusing on exercise for even a little bit of time. And, and focus, you know, taking my time away from, you know, actually always engaged in client work and things like that. So uh, those are kind of the two main things that, that, that always trigger. You work out in the morning and then um, a bathroom workout. Yeah, oftentimes if, uh, if the workout isn't done in the morning, oftentimes it becomes something that never does get done. <laughs> uh, I've noticed mm -hmm. personally too. And I was curious, that's a great, uh, I love your, your strategy there where every time you have to go to the restroom, 
you actually do some kind of exercise. Now I was curious, does that have to happen before you actually get to the bathroom or does it happen right after? <laughs> <laughs> I normally make it a, a, something before I go to the bathroom because I'm afraid after I'm just going to go back, back to my office. <laughs> It's usually something that, so sometimes it's really quick if, if, I, if I wait long enough. But yeah. Uh, yeah, again, it's just it's just something small, sit-ups, push-ups, uh, jumping jacks, something like that. Just something to get my blood flowing a little bit during the day. Cool, cool. Yeah, I just want to put a little humor in there because for me, you know, a high-pressure situation needs to be taken care of pretty darn quick. I don't know how many <laughs> reps I could get in, how many push-ups, uh, you know, being at the advanced ripe old age of 55, um, but it's awesome. It's awesome. That's just fun to fun to chat with you and, and learn how you operate. That's a I honestly in all in all honesty and seriousness. That's a great great strategy. And for everyone listening, try that out. I mean, I'm thinking about it myself. To you know, I can easily drop and do 20, 30 pushups before it becomes you know red light time and gotta go. But um, I think that's a great strategy. So, so thank you for sharing that. And notice he said the word routine, everyone listening. Uh, this is becoming another common theme. It, it is a common theme. It's just uh, every successful person has routines that they follow. It doesn't mean you have to follow Mike's routine. It doesn't mean you have to follow my routine. It just means you need to come up with a routine so that things get done that normally wouldn't, just like we're talking. If you didn't work out in the beginning, in, in Mike's case, the odds of him getting it in during the rest of the day diminish, right? And it may, the odds are less that he'll get it done at all. And so when you have a routine and you stick to it, that, that instills discipline, which is very paramount for any successful business. All right, off my soapbox, but that, uh, that was good, um, good lead in for all that. Thank you, Mike. Um, now, when it comes to business, I know everything is super easy. Uh, nothing, you know, everything goes as planned every time when you re reach success, it's just a walk in the park, right? Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we were talking about mindset and, uh, one of the things all humans have in common is this thing called fear. And, you know, it can be one of those things that keeps you from moving forward. It can just be, you know, absolutely paralyzing, or it can be something that you've mastered and can handle. We all feel it. Uh, it's just how you uh, actually react to it and manage it. So for you, Mike, uh, if you wouldn't mind sharing with everyone, what would you say is your greatest fear? And then how do you manage that fear when it comes up? Yeah, I mean, that's a really good question. I think, um, you know, as a business owner, every, every business owner's fear is it's going to collapse someday or, or they're, they're never big enough because it can still collapse. Um, and and I, I would say that's, you know, one of my fears. And I, I kind of go you drill down a little bit deeper into that idea and say, you know, my fear is I don't ever want to work for somebody else. So needing to mm -hmm. go back and work for someone else other than myself, that's a fear of mine. And that's pr probably similar to a business collapsing because that would be the reason to go work for someone else. But, um, you know, fear is something that can be very dangerous, especially in entrepreneurs. And it's something I'm passionate about is helping entrepreneurs through that fear and, and really trying to, um, alleviate some of that stress or anxiety that's caused behind those fears. Um, you know, one thing is, as far as that, that fear of going to work for someone else or business failing, um, one thing I've always told myself is that ethical businesses do, will not fall apart. So as long as you're in business and you're playing, have ethical business practices and you're passionate, you have to be an entrepreneur. And I think that there's a lot of people that start businesses that might not be entrepreneurs, but you're passionate and you have that drive you will succeed and it will not just fall apart. 
Um, where do you find these businesses that just kind of blow up and, and, and go away? It's a lot of times unethical practices or things that they're shady things that are going on. And that makes di businesses disappear. Now, you know, a, a business can get smaller. So you might have massive success and then slim down and then have massive success. But nothing just falls apart and goes away unless you have unethical behavior. So that's one thing that I've always told myself is that we run an ethical practice and that business is never just going to fall apart. You know, and one thing that I've always taken a step back to is, is you have to understand where your successes are. Um, there's that, there's that thought process or some people say that you can never have enough money or you can never make enough money or you can never succeed enough. And, you know, when you're our business owner, that does happen. You know, you might say, I want to be this revenue mark and you get to that revenue mark and you're like, well, that wasn't great. I want to be double that. And you're always constantly going to have that, have that reaction. But the biggest thing is that when you get faced with something where you have this fear, where you have this worry about whatever it might be, stress, anxiety, sit back and look back at those successes. Mm -hmm. Look at that time where you said, I wanted to be that revenue mark. And then you got to that revenue mark and you weren't happy enough. But when you have massive fear on your shoulders, that's a good way to look back and look at the successes you've had. So that's, you know, really kind of how I kind of manage that, that idea of fear. Great advice and great uh, strategy for managing your fear as well. And, you know, I used to be in the fitness industry myself just recently. I've, I transitioned about three or four months ago. And I used to say to the clients, like, you know, it would be, let's just use an example, an easy one, uh, an exercise. We call, we call for 10 reps of push, you know, 10 push-ups. And mm -hmm. a client only did four and gets up and guess what he or she does? They start kicking themselves in the butt, you know, figuratively saying, my, I failed. And I said, well, did you put everything you had into it? I mean, everything. I, I'm watching. I was like, well, I can see you did, but I want to hear from you. I said, yeah, I did. Okay, well, instead of kicking yourself in the butt for the reps you didn't do, give yourself a pat on the back for those you did do. Look back and say, you were successful. Just because you didn't reach the 10, don't worry, that'll happen. You know, same kind of same kind of approach. So it really resonated with what you were saying there, Mike. And then, I was, so look, everyone, I'm writing notes, so uh, I hope you are too. Uh, I'm the host of the show, and I'm very busy over here pressing knobs and tweaking things and having a great time. I'm also taking notes uh, because I value everything Mike is saying right now. I love the word dangerous. Fear can be dangerous. That is so true. Uh, it literally could incapacitate you from moving forward uh, in your business. Uh, fear for making that decision to say yes when you know it's the right decision. You know, when you might have, you know, you might be strained financially and you're not sure if you can even afford it, but you just let that excuse and that fear stop you from even looking into could there be a way. Uh, mm -hmm. I, I overcame that one years ago and it's just been a godsend because I just say yes and then, okay, let's figure it out. If it can't be done, it can't be done, but it's funny every time something works out. Uh, when you just jump past it. Um, I don't ever want to go to work for someone else. Yeah, that's a big <laughs> fear. Um, and I love the, the, the phrase you said, ethical businesses will not fall apart. And it made me think, you know, given what arena you're in, who better to know this, <laughs> right? I mean, you see their numbers and you can probably ascertain if they're going, uh, doing things ethically or not based on uh, things, <laughs> but... Yeah. That, so, so I love that because, you know, just by you saying that enforces even deeper for those that may think there's something that they're doing that may not be completely on the up and up. Hopefully what you said just kind of pushed them over the edge to say, 
then go the other way and act out of full integrity and ethics. Um, and so I appreciate you saying that phrase. I wrote that one down in quotes. That's a, that's a quote from Mike, and that's yours. Um, so great. Uh, so you talked about success, and you have to understand where your successes are. That's another great one. Um, well, let's flip that a little bit. Uh, so entrepreneurs, we have, we have many successes. We probably have 10 times as many failures to get to those successes. Uh, so if, if you could think of one or two that stick out in your mind, uh, and you know you can reframe that to something other than failure if you want, uh, but what have been some of your failures that you've gone through in your walk, your entrepreneurial work, walk? And then more importantly, uh, beyond that, what have you learned from them to react and change and, uh, and improve? Yeah. Um, so we're, we started this kind of modern accounting firm, and this was about seven years ago that firm originated. And it was kind of a new idea back then. Not too many people were really jumping on that modern, innovative mm -hmm. kind of digital accounting firm. And so at the time I said, we need a project management system to be able to handle with employees scattered around the country and clients scattered around the country. We really need a project management system that can manage and handle, you know, the, the digital type of atmosphere. And I looked around and just could not find something that was built for accountants that was a project management system. So I said, if we can't find it, let's build it because there's going to be accountants after us they're going to need the same exact thing. And so at that time, we started building out a, a project management software. And it took about three years to build it. So three years into our accounting firm, three years in, we finally had this project management software built up. And by that time, there was five competitors on the market that were project management systems specific to accountants. And they were all extremely well-funded. So us being bootstrapped didn't have much of an option to really take it to market too hard. So we ended up kind of cutting that project. And, you know, I look at that as a failure. But again, it's, it's kind of cliche to say this, but business owners learn from their failures. There's one thing that I've learned from, from the software piece, and it's to always have a minimum viable product. So we built out this project management system that was perfect. It was ready to hit the ground and could bring in clients and bring in tons of clients, but it was three years later. And so what we should have done is launched early, but had a minimal viable product. So maybe it just had task management or maybe it just did recurring tasks. And then we bring it to market, see what the interest is out there, get users inside of it. And then we build on the discussions, the comments, the calendars, the files and you kind of build around that but that is one area that if we could go back and do the whole software thing again we would do that kind of minimal viable product idea and again it's just getting as as basic of an item that you can out onto the market to see if there's interest there and then building it up from there so you know that's kind of our um software failure that we had um and, and the other thing is just testing it first so when you are building out a software testing the market with it, seeing what the attention is out there. Um, and, you know, sort of the contrary to that, we've also kind of built out training programs and you know, these, these, these initial training for people, how to do their bookkeeping, things like that, where they can do it themselves. And so we built and put all this work into, um, you know, building up videos and recording and building up a training site. And we just gave up too early. So we launched a product. No one came running to us. We didn't market it. We didn't do anything. So why would anyone come running to us? And we gave up too early. 
So uh, it, it's, you know, the, the lessons mainly learned on, on both of those two items is have a minimal viable product and make a strong push for it. So don't just put something out there and assume someone's going to come to the door. Make a strong push for your MVP or minimum viable product and see who comes in the door. And then you can really create, once you have users using it, you can expand that thing quicker and even better. Make a better product because it's not just you that's creating this product. Now you have all these other users that are also contributing to that idea. My goodness, I have writer's cramp. That was unbelievable, Mike, un in such a wonderful way. Oh, my gosh, so many nuggets. I hope everyone else was writing frantically. I could not write fast enough. I probably can't even read what I wrote. Uh, the thing I love, there's so many, but make a strong push. That is one thing I see time and time again, and uh, you're not alone in this at all, Mike. I'm sure you know that, where you build a product and you spend all this time, energy, finances, everything, uh, time of your employees, of your help, putting it together and then wait for people to come to you when really that's the time to now turn up the heat even higher and market mm -hmm. the bejeebers out of it because really no one's going to know it exists unless you tell them it does. Uh, and I'm not, uh, this is not a judgment of any kind, Mike, because I'm in that position right now. I was just <laughs> telling uh, my wife, literally, I'm in the process of building a info product, a training product. Uh, and it's going to be very large. It's going to be huge in 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 results and in volume of, of work it takes to put it together. And I was just telling her, I said, yeah, but once I'm done, that doesn't mean it's over. That means it's just beginning. Now the push begins. You just said the right word, the push. And uh, the other thing I might help people with a strategy here. If you do something like that, like Mike has done with his company, they built software. And, and then uh, three years later, they had competition. Well, you know, that that's something you can't ever foresee. There's no way you're going to know that's going to happen. Uh, so I wouldn't actually call it a failure, just maybe an adjustment or a learning to say, let's do it modularly in the in the future, prioritize mm -hmm. what we need the most, finish those out and use them and then maybe release them to the market. Maybe just keep them in house and use them for our own business, because that's why you started to begin with. Uh, but you know, one of the things I did, especially for like a training, I did this also with my fitness business is I brought together and I handpicked a beta test group and I brought people in and I charged them $0 to use my system. In return, they were going to give me, and they did and are giving me feedback on how to improve the product to the point where they would want to buy it at whatever price point I let them decide it's worth. So I put all of those uh, factors in their uh, camp and let them, the market, i.e. the market, like you so aptly said, Mike, is let the market, you know, do some market testing. And this was my way of testing. Uh, it didn't cost anything for them. It cost me in time, but it also, I gained so much in knowledge in how mm -hmm. to improve. Uh, and then it was ready to launch. And this, think about this, at that same time, I've got built-in testimonials ready to go before we even launch. Uh, I also have an affiliate team because I give them an affiliate uh, link so they can go promote it and earn a, a uh, you know, thank you and financial thank you for promoting it. So all these things to help a startup product because it is a daunting task <laughs> just to build it, like you were saying, and then to oh, get yeah. it. Then when it's done, it's like you can't take a breath. Now it's time to step on that pedal and go. And that's the thing you guys learned. And I love that you brought that up. It, it's because I see this so much. You know, so many of my friends, they'll build something and go, it didn't work. I'm like, mm -hmm. well, what do you mean? What happened? Well, I built it and no one bought it. Well, why didn't they buy it? Did you market it? Well, I posted it on Facebook. I said, okay, what else? <laughs> well, that's it. 
Okay. So yeah. Yeah, and and that's one thing is that um, you had you put so much time and effort into building this one thing, and you're so passionate about it, and then you just you spend so much time, and you just think you're done, and and, and just like you said, that's not time. It, it's not time to take a, a breath. It's time to step on the on the get the past gas pedal. Yeah. And so, just you know, that's that's one thing that we've always learned is that when we're building something. It's it's easy to just say, oh, that didn't work. Let's move on to something else. <laughs> Very easy, yeah. And that's that's what happens. That's typically what happens for those that don't make it past the finish line. Um, if you if you had not you, but everyone watching in general had any idea the amount of time and effort that goes into a product after it's finished, completed, and ready for the market, uh, what it takes to put on, say, a webinar. Uh, we're talking a good webinar. We'll take if you're familiar with PowerPoint or Keynote. A really well thought out, high, uh, high um, closing uh, webinar will be a minimum of 300 slides. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's a lot of time and effort and work, and then rehearsal of that, and then so many things. So yeah, you're you're not even you're you're like maybe one third of the way there when you've completed your product, and now it's time to really go after it. Um, I think that's very valuable for people to know, Mike, and I appreciate you bringing that up because that will just do nothing but help them. It will either help them decide that, well, that seems like too much and it's more than I wanted to bite off, so I'm not going to do it. Good. That saved you time to move into something you are more passionate about that you will see to the finish line. Uh, or mm-hmm. it will be, okay, I'm glad I know that. Now I'm prepared to know that when I'm done, I'm not done. That's yeah. pretty cool. When I'm done, I'm not done. I like that. All right. <laughs> <laughs> ah, we gotta have fun. We gotta have fun. <laughs> so uh, you're a very uplifting, positive guy. From the moment we started talking this evening, uh, right before the show, I could see it all over you. You're, you have this uh, this air of positivity about you, of energy, of of wanting to help people. That is so apparent to me. Uh, just talking to you before the show, uh, that that's one of the things that drives you. And so I'm curious if your mentality bleeds over into your organization your employee base that's all over uh in disparate geographic regions and um so what kind of culture have you nurtured in your organization uh and then how did you establish it and actually inject it into your organization so that everyone bought in yeah you know one thing about our culture is that we 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 do it as a team Traditional accounting, uh, when, when people think of a traditional accounting firm, there's these levels. So you put in three years, you're uh, an associate, you put in three years, you're a senior to a manager to just these levels where you just basically put time in and you, you're going to advance. And, you know, when we started our firm, we said, we want to do things differently. We're not going to be your average accounting firm. And so when it comes to culture, we want to do more of a team approach. Everyone's equal. Now, some might have more the responsibilities might be more important because they're working on higher level stuff, but we don't have seniors and managers and partners and everyone's on a level playing field. It's just the type of work that they're doing changes. And so, you know, as mentioned with our, with our team, we're all, we're all virtual, we're all remote. And so that culture, some people say, how do you have a culture when you're, when you're working remotely? And it's because we have this mindset that even though we are working remotely, we're on a team together. We're communicating with each other often. And we look at it as a level playing field. Well, we're all in this together. We're all in this to succeed together. We're all in this the hard times. We're all going to go through that together. And so it's just more of that collaboration and team effort that we that we do. And 
you know, one, one way that we've been able to do that is that we give, uh, or I give my employees full control. So they have full access and control to manage a client. I don't hide clients from them or say, oh, you can't talk to that client before talking to me. Um, our employees have full access to our clients. They can reach out to them. They, they drive much of the communication with them. And that's just giving them confidence so that, you know, they're able to communicate not just with the person above them or their manager, they're able to communicate directly with the client and they love that. They feel like they have so much more control and, and feel like they're actually playing such a bigger role in, in how our organization, um, you know, how successful we can be. Uh, another thing is, is we encourage employees to bring ideas. So, um, and we're open to change. We're kind of hope to change and look to always change. And so instead of avoiding change, I say, bring ideas. I'm not the smartest man in the room. So bring ideas on how we can do things better. And let's talk about it as a team. You know, I might've built out a process or something that we do in our firm. And I know there's a better way to do it. I just don't know it myself personally. And so that's where I, I rely on my team to bring those ideas to the table. What should we do it doing differently? How can we be more productive? And again, doing that as a team. So it's not just me saying, this is how our firm is gonna operate. It's our team deciding how our firm is going to operate. And, you know, again, it's just kind of reiterating that idea that by giving employees control, um, letting them bring ideas to the table, you know, it helps our employees know that they're, we're all in this together. We can all succeed together. If we have a rough time, we're all going to get through it together. And so it's just kind of that team type atmosphere, almost like as we're uh, one big family. I think that's... Uh... That's genius because I'm I'm just begun hearing about this approach. In fact, I started doing it myself with apprentices that I have, and I've learned so much as a result of it. Uh, it works. <laughs> it just works when you give them more control or more responsibility, more what I like to call ownership of what they're doing. You know, they get it, what you're doing is you're taking away micromanagement, and you're yeah. infusing. Uh, you know, go get them. <laughs> you're telling them. Uh, you want them to be creative and and not just figure it out on their own, but to be someone that contributes, right? And when they mm -hmm. feel they're contributing, they feel they are more valuable to the team, to the company, and they feel better about themselves. And that's a phenomenal approach. I know a, a multimillionaire friend of mine uh, who said he does just that. Uh, and, and he takes it a step further, or maybe not, uh, maybe you do this as well, but he will give them everything they need, not just to get the job done and excel, but also train them to the point where if they ever wanted to, they could easily leave his company and start their own. I thought, wow, that is phenomenal. That's and great. That, and that's what I've been doing with my apprentices, but my apprentices have a very finite time with me. I already know that. So I want them to excel when they're done. Uh, and that was a great lesson to hear him say that. So that, yeah, with all employees as well, do the same thing. And he said the only bummer was, yeah, you got to train the next person coming in. I thought, well, there's, there's solutions to that as well. So yeah. I, I really relate to what you're saying, uh, Mike, because the results are, they're the key to it. They're the, they are the, the evidence, right? Um, and that is they're happy. Uh, they are more productive uh, for your company. And you are more happy, right? Because you're not thinking about what is... Joe and Melissa and Fred and Mary, what are they all doing? Well, because you let them and set them free, you don't have to really concern yourself. All you need to concern yourself is with the result they're getting and make sure they're yeah. going about it in an integrity based and, you know, along with your culture, 
uh, value system, your mission, your purpose of your company. Isn't that, it's freeing for everybody. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And it's a successful business model because you, you as a team get things done faster with more passion, with more gusto, and the quality of the end product is always much higher. I've seen mm -hmm. it, I know you've seen it. Uh, so I, I, I just hope more people uh, integrate this because I have been in micromanaging uh, situations where I was not the one doing the micromanaging and I didn't like it at all. <laughs> Did yeah, not it's, like it's it. a bad space to be in. <laughs> it's, it's the worst. It's like, I don't, first of all, I don't like being told what to do. Second, then to make it even worse, don't tell me when to do it. Third, don't tell me especially how to do it. It's like, <laughs> well, then you want a robot. I'm not the right person for you. You need yeah. someone else. <laughs> so I love yours is complete opposite of that. Uh, give them the freedom, the reign to basically you give them full control in your words. That's awesome. Um, so how important uh, is it to you? and your company to have good employees, now that we're talking about the people that work with you, and how, do, you know, if you have a good employee, how important is that to your success um, versus maybe one that didn't work out so great? How, how important is it to have good employees in a business such as yours? Yeah, I mean, it's everything. And when we look back at that idea, you said micromanaging. Hmm. Um, with micromanaging, I think sometimes you can get away with having some employees that aren't a real good fit because you can force them and do them into these things. And you know, it's just kind of like, a, here's here's what we're doing. Um, but when you have this atmosphere where it's collaboration, it's team, it's giving client or employees control, you need to have employees that are a good fit and employees that are good. And, and so in our business, that's everything. We've had situations where we've had great employees, great people, great accountants in our firm. It's just, they didn't kind of fit that idea of, being virtual, being modern, being innovative, being in control themselves. And it's not a good fit for the firm. It's it's really disruptive to our organization when we have someone that is not a good fit. And so it's nothing saying that they're not a good accountant or they're not good at doing that job. It's, it's a combination of being a good employee, good at what you do, but also a good fit for your, for your organization. And so that's what we, we found a lot in, in, in our space is that, um, when we're interviewing, yes, we care about, uh, you know, where your skill set comes from, but it goes more beyond that and saying, okay, how are you going to look in this team? Uh, how are you going to communicate with other team members? And how are you going to be able to adapt from working from home? You know, is one example is working from home is a lot different from working in an office. <laughs> and if you worked in an office for 40 years, working from home might be a hard adjustment. It might sound great, but a week in, you're not going to like it. And we've found people that had situations like that. So it's in that interview process, it's, it's drilling down uh, early and saying, okay, let's get the skills part. Once we know you're a skilled person, let's find that culture. Let's make sure that you have the same belief systems that we do, the same passion that we do, and then you're going to be an awesome employee. That is uh, so wise, uh, words of wisdom, because uh, many companies will put all of their eggs in the skill set basket and say, you know, if you don't meet these skills, then we're not going to hire you. Or conversely, if you do, you're in. I don't even have to have you come in and talk to you because I see on your resume, it says you have everything we need. And that is a huge mistake. And I know this personally because, um, you know, that's what I do. I, I hire less on skill set and more on everything you just said. 
How are you going to fit into this, uh, into my culture of my company? How are you going to communicate with my team that's already in place? And how open are you going to be to, and, and how, you know, how are you going to be about taking control? Because mm -hmm. not everybody likes to take control. Some just want to be told what to do and when to do it. They, they, they are out there, many of them. Uh, and so if they don't fit the model of, you know, um, actually being creative and being able to think on their own two feet, then they're not a fit for me. They must have an entrepreneurial spirit, at least at the minimum, in that creativity sense. And they must uh, also, you know, be positive like most entrepreneurs are. And I, I'll never forget, I, I did bring on one apprentice who had just a tiny shred of skill in video editing. I needed someone in video editing. I said, you know what, I need so many things. I don't care if you do video editing. I have so many things to do. I want you to see, you know, when you come on board, I'm gonna lay them out in front of you. You pick what you wanna do because they all need to get done. And mm -hmm. then she picked video editing. And she turned out to be one of the greatest video editors I've ever seen. And she didn't have that much experience. So the experience meant really little. It was about her, her ability to adapt, to learn, uh, her willingness to learn. And she excelled because of the culture, you know, the team atmosphere we had and everything you just said. So, man, you, you, were we like uh, separated at birth or something? I'm starting <laughs> to notice some interesting commonalities here. <laughs> but, and that's there's one aspect, too, is when we hire someone, we require them to shoot a video and include that with their cover letter. And it's because that idea is that that's something that we do with clients. We're on video. We're shooting videos for clients. And so that's something that we do in our firm. There was a ton of resumes that came through that looked like great, skillful person with a great background history, but they never submitted a video. And so that was that first, okay, maybe you're good at what you do, but you're just not a good fit for our culture. That's genius. Submit a video. I love that. I'm going to incorporate that from now on. <laughs> I mean, you could save, my gosh, what a time saver. <laughs> I mean, uh, yeah, my first, in, uh, my first touch is a Zoom call so I can see them. But if yeah. they've already sent me a video and I say, oh, my gosh, uh, we're not going to go forward. I'm not going to spend an hour on the phone with you. Um, or you have a pretty good idea. All right, this might be a fit. I got more questions for you. That's genius, man. That's a big time saver. I love that. A great filtration device. Um, yeah. So you've been an entrepreneur a long time. And I imagine, uh, well, you said it. You said one of your biggest fears was to go back and uh, work for somebody else. Um <laughs> uh, uh, what what would you say as an entrepreneur, um, what would you say has been your absolute favorite part of being an entrepreneur? For those out there that may not be one right now, but just what is your favorite part of being an entrepreneur? Yeah, for me, it all comes down to control and, you know, me having the ability to determine my destiny. When you're working for a, a company, there's only so far up that you can go. And you don't have control for a lot of that stuff. You don't have control over who your manager is, who, you know, a lot of that uh, progression in your career, you don't have control over. And so as an entrepreneur, you determine where you go. You determine what you do. You determine what your business is, how fast they're going to succeed or how slow you're going to go. If you want to just stay small and, and make a good income, you have that potential. So it's, it's, it's a lot of in your control part um, that, that I've loved. As, as being an entrepreneur and I say flexibility as part of that too um, but a lot of times I say flexibility or or not because sometimes depending on how you know what type of work you're doing that flexibility is you're always working so you, you think you're um, you, you go home at night and 
you're sitting in your couch with your laptop or something like that. So that there is a lot of times too, where that flexibility is you're always working, but that I think ties well into that determining your own destiny. I, I'm, I'm fine spending a couple hours at night doing more work because I know where it's going to take me versus spending a couple hours at night watching TV or something like that. That's not going to make help me succeed any quicker. True, true. And and it is important for those watching to have a downtime of some kind at some point. Yeah. You don't want to burn out. I uh, just want to make sure we, we slip that in because I'm very much like you, uh, Mike, in that, uh, in fact, for me, I love what I do so much. I don't even call it work. And I'll, I'll be, mm -hmm. you know, down till I'll look up and go, oh my gosh, it's already one in the morning. I better get my butt to bed because tomorrow's going to be long if I don't get there quick. Um, <laughs> And and so you use the word control a lot. And just to clarify to everyone out there, I'm sure they get it, but it's not to be controlling. It's to be in control of his own destiny. Uh, yeah. I use a word, a term for what you were describing. I just call it liberation. <laughs> you're free to do what you want, when you want, how you want to do it. Doesn't mean you're going to be successful. It's no guarantee, but you're free to choose to make the choices that will either make you successful or not and you get to learn along the way and i say you get to not have to because it's a privilege i love what i get to do every single day now one last thing before i go we created a facebook group called building a successful law firm to take what you learn here and dive even deeper this facebook group is a place where we share tons of value for free and you also have the opportunity to bring up situations you are faced with and collaborate not only with our team, but with other firm owners as well. Simply go to Facebook and search for the Building a Successful Law Firm Group. Again, it's Building a Successful Law Firm Group. I'll see you in there. This has been another episode of the Law Firm Accounting and Tax Podcast from the team at Jetro. If you enjoy our weekly episodes, please leave a review on whatever platform you listen to us on and share with other law firm owners. If you have any questions or future topics you want to hear, email them to tax at jetrotax.com. Thanks for listening and have a great day.